This is the Neighborhood Conversations Podcast. Today's sermon was recorded on June 25th, 2023. Good morning. Will you all rise in body or spirit for the reading of the gospel today? This is from Matthew 10, verses 24 through 39. I'm reading the CEB version. Disciples aren't greater than their teacher, and slaves aren't greater than their master. It's enough for disciples to be like their teacher and slaves like their master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, which is another word for a demon, I learned, it's certain that they will call the members of this household by even worse names. Therefore, don't be afraid of those people because nothing is hidden that won't be revealed and nothing secret that won't be brought out into the open. What I say to you in the darkness, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, announce from the rooftops. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Instead, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a small coin? But not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing about it already. Even the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worthy more than many sparrows. Therefore, anyone who acknowledges me before people, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before people, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. People's enemies are members of their own households. Those who love father or mother more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who love son or daughter more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who don't pick up their crosses and follow me aren't worthy of me. Those who find their lives will lose them, and those who lose their lives because of me will find them. This is the lengthy word of God for the people of God. Will you say thanks be to God? That reading is a lot. Um, so hello, uh, I am Kelly Scott, as Angie said, and um, I've been coming to Neighborhood since last fall, um, right after I arrived in Atlanta. Um, and I just want to say thank you all to being so warm and welcoming. Um, it's been a great experience. I've fallen in love with the Neighborhood community, and so I hope after today you still want me to hang around because... That's what I intend to do. Uh, For just a moment, will you join me in the spirit of prayer? Dear God, thank you for this opportunity to gather in community, to celebrate your love for all people, regardless of our identities. I ask that your spirit lead us through this message today, and may that same spirit open our hearts and guide our words to be uplifting to all. I ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So when considering what to share during this series, Narrating the Now, um, I couldn't help but think about how I got to this place, like literally right here, standing in front of you all in Neighborhood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, as a 41-year-old seminary student. It's wild. Like I can't believe how much my life has changed in a short amount of time. 
But before I started to reflect on how I got here, my first task was to select a scripture reading for today. And I was having trouble selecting one, so I decided to go with the lectionary reading. And if you don't know what the lectionary is, it's a uh, pre-selected calendar of text, if you will. So they're pre-assigned to every week. And I went with the lectionary, but once I started reading the gospel text from the lectionary, I immediately regretted this decision because this passage in Matthew 10 is about discipleship. And I didn't feel equipped uh, to relate a text about discipleship with any sort of personal story of my own. But scripture has a way of surprising me, so I decided to proceed with caution. And then the very first commentary that I read said that disciple simply means learner, which maybe should have been obvious because the first verse in the passage says disciples aren't greater than their teacher, and if Jesus is the teacher, it makes sense that his disciples were learning from him. But discipleship is one of those big churchy words, and I feel more comfortable identifying as a learner because a learner doesn't know everything yet. A learner is expected to make mistakes, to not have all the answers, and their job is to try to absorb information, apply it as best they can, and practice, practice, practice. So a little bit about me as a gay person who grew up in a religious environment that taught me that queer identities were unacceptable and sinful against God, I experienced quite a few years of internal conflict and confusion and mental anguish as I tried to make sense of it all. Then I experienced a more loving and affirming God through a personal encounter that I would call my first coming out story. It's when I came out to myself and to God. And that experience, which I'll tell you about in a minute, uh, it sent me searching. It sent me searching for more clear answers. It sent me searching for a community that acknowledged this God that I knew to exist, even though I was taught differently. And when I learned how life-giving and healing and affirming and justice-focused faith community could be, I wanted to be part of that because it was actually good news for everyone. So I went into this learning frenzy when I couldn't stop reading and searching for more resources and more people who talked about the God of good news for all people, regardless of their identity or their life situations. I wanted to learn more about the Jesus who welcomed the outcast, showed compassion to the ostracized, and ate dinner with those who were looked down upon by their religious leaders. So I've been in a perpetual state of learning ever since I discovered this life-giving Jesus who provided hope and unconditional love and who pushed back against the power, those in power who oppressed the rejected from society. And it's in this spirit of learning from Jesus the teacher that I feel comfortable calling myself a disciple because it means I don't have to get it right all the time. With that being said, it doesn't mean that this way of seeing the world is easy because we still have powerful leaders, both religious and political, who continue to ostracize and punish those who fall outside of the identities that are deemed worthy, which means 
the queers, the people of color, the incarcerated, the poor, among others. One way that we can deal with these forces that segregate and divide us is we can retreat into our own bubble, we can keep silent from speaking up, and some of us can conceal our identities, some of us, not all, and I've done all these things. I still hide sometimes in certain settings out of fear if it doesn't feel safe that it, for me to be myself. But going back to the passage in Matthew and what it says next, in verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those people because nothing is hidden that won't be revealed and nothing secret that won't be brought out into the open. What I say to you in the darkness, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, announced from the rooftops. So I mentioned a personal encounter with God a few minutes ago that I called my first coming out story. When I came out to myself, when I came out to God, and it transformed the way that I saw myself. And here's how it went. So I had reached a point in my life when I was realizing I could no longer deny that I was attracted to women. I had tried dating boys repeatedly, but regardless of how much I liked them as a person, regardless of how much I enjoyed their company, it was always purely platonic for me, which always ended in awkward breakups. When I was honest with myself, I had experienced crushes on girls since middle school, but I didn't understand it, and I never acted on it because I knew instinctively that a romantic relationship with a girl was not okay in the world in which I lived. Then in this desperate moment of prayer as a young adult who was very aware of my feelings, I was asking God to fix me because I felt so alone. I, was, I, was, uh, I couldn't talk to anyone about what was going on inside because it filled me with so much shame, and it was emotionally crippling. But this particular night, I was literally, literally on my knees on the floor in my first little one-bedroom apartment where I lived alone for the first time, and I vividly remember the exact spot in the living room where I was kneeling, and I was sobbing to the point of I couldn't catch my breath. And suddenly, I experienced this radical shift from feeling completely overwhelmed with anxiety and pain to feeling a deep sense of peace and calm. Now, I'm not much of a woo-woo person. If, if you know what I mean by woo-woo, it's like the mystical mysticism and the supernatural. Maybe a little bit. Like, I could identify with, like, woo-woo curious or woo-woo adjacent, if you will, but... My point is, this is going to sound a little woo-woo, um, but if it, if it uh, ex for what it's worth, I had never experienced anything like this beforehand, and I haven't experienced anything like it since. So, I'm on the floor in my apartment, and... There I am, 23 years old, sobbing uncontrollably, and I suddenly felt what I can only describe as a bucket of warmth that was poured on top of my head and spread down my body. And as this sensation was happening, I caught my breath, my heart rate slowed down, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but this thought sort of came through my mind that said, 
you are okay just as you are. Now, this moment didn't take away all my shame and confusion about being gay, but it did shift my outlook and piqued my curiosity just enough that I decided to seek out others who might share this experience. And thus was the beginning of my theological learning adventures. Now, fast forward 10 years, I found myself sitting in a pew during a visit to my hometown, and after hearing a preacher that I had known most of my life condemn gay marriage from the pulpit, which by the way happened less than a year after I myself got gay married, I approached him after the sermon and I shared with him about this miraculous prayer experience I had. And I told him as a married gay person, I didn't understand the threat of gay marriage that he expressed. And he said to me that Satan could give me these feelings of peace also, and I should be aware. But I knew it wasn't true. I knew even 10 years after the fact that what I had experienced in that private moment of prayer and the soft voice that rose up from within me was truer than any shameful thought I'd ever had. I knew it could be trusted because it gave me life and it gave me hope for a future that I could look forward to. It was true because it propelled me to seek out community who lived in that same truth. Now what I didn't have the time or energy to tell that pastor was about the decade of study and learning I'd done since that prayer experience, which only reinforced what I knew to be true, that we are all beloved by God no matter our romantic attractions or any other trait. And it wasn't long after this troubling interaction with a pastor that I started looking for a church again, one that strived to love everyone like God in both word and action. So this is how verse 27 resonates with me. When Jesus said, what I say to you in the darkness, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, announce from the rooftops. I had had a truth revealed to me in private that I knew needed to be shared, and at the same time, the thought of sharing this with others was terrifying, because I knew that some would reject this way of viewing God. I knew I would experience opposition and perhaps even lose relationships with people that I loved, and I feared the worst-case scenario of how my truth would be received. But as we continue through this text in Matthew, Jesus repeats himself saying, do not be afraid. And he affirms how much God cares for us to the point of knowing every hair on our heads and stating our worth. Jesus says, don't be afraid three times in this passage, which says to me that he knew how scary it would be to live this way, to acknowledge a God that seeks justice and affirmation of all people, regardless of social status, because it challenges those in power and the status quo. Then comes the part of this passage that I find the most disturbing and confusing. Jesus says in verse 34 to 37 that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword and that there will be division within families. How are we to reconcile this 
This, if living the way that Jesus lived, points to pursuing nonviolence and unity of all people. Well, as it turns out, each theologian that I read explained the meaning of Jesus bringing a sword as opposed to peace in this way. The sword refers to the division that is bound to happen when society norms and those in power are challenged with liberating good news for all people. Because when the lowly are lifted up to be equal, it means those in power lose their power over the other And when hierarchy is challenged, those opposing forces will cause division like a sword. So the words, the sword to which Jesus is referring, could be seen as a sort of pruning tool that cuts off the lifeless limbs of an oppressive society that take away from the abundant life that God desires for all people. Now, what about the family division that Jesus refers to? Whether it's biological family or family through marriage, there can be as much diversity within families as there is in the world. And with that diversity in thought and diversity in life experience and diversity in how we identify comes a need for openness and a sincere interest in different views and respect for our differences. And a real effort has to be made to bridge those gaps, which can be hard. I've been watching the reboot of The Wonder Years. I don't know if y'all have seen that, but the theme song has a lyric that says, love is hard, war is easy. And I'm sorry to say that I have experienced some division and lack of peace in various, various family relationships. And division with family, no matter the nature of the family structure or dynamic, can be very painful and very personal. And yet, in spite of the pain, I can still get a deep sense of inner peace when I don't try to conform to another person's way of thinking. Even as I experience conflict with those who do not value my understanding of Jesus' example of breaking bread with so-called sinners and sharing love and compassion to the outcast instead of avoiding them or trying to change them, even when I'm sitting in the discomfort of conflict at the same time, I have supportive community and life-giving relationships with those who are supportive family members and friends and neighbors and partners in the pursuit of justice and pursuing a more inclusive and egalitarian society. When we can't have unity within our biological or affinity families, we can still find support in other relationships. And I will admit, I do not always handle opposition and family conflict well. I get offended, I get defensive, I can lash out or retreat in silence. And I respond out of a place of hurt instead of a place of love and forgiveness. But I'm still learning. And I think as open-minded learners, we can support each other in the pursuit of discipleship. So my hope is that we may find the strength to speak our truth in love and lift up those on the margins, even in the face of profound opposition 
Because when we can do that, we are promised a life more fulfilling than we can imagine. May it be so in the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Neighborhood Conversations produced by Neighborhood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can learn more about us at neighborhoodchurchatl.com. And on our website, you can find links to our weekly live streams. And you can find out what's going on in the neighborhood. Find us on social media and don't forget to subscribe. Peace be with you.